Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Pastor Brad Reed from the New York Dream Center. That's right, some people are thinking, hang on, I thought it was the LA Dream Center. Well, Brad used to be the youth pastor at the LA Dream Center, but four months ago was sent out on an amazing journey to plant, start, begin the New York Dream Center uh, under the leadership of Pastor Matthew Barnett. And uh, Brad shared at New Hope Brisbane this morning, and most of the church came out for prayer at the end of the service, and we've had an incredible day of ministry. It's been inspiring to hear the story. Welcome to History Makers, Brad. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah, it was an amazing time. We had a great time, and uh, yeah, a lot of prayer, too, in starting the new New York Dream Center, because yeah. <laughs> we, we certainly need it with a big city like that. So well, I'm just so glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. Now, uh, for those of you who can't see uh, Brad, we're filming this for YouTube, but for those of you who can't see Brad, he actually looks a bit like Anthony LaPaglia. Has anyone mentioned that to you? Have you heard no. of him? He's an Australian actor that's on a, a TV show in the States, uh, quite well known. And so anyone who knows Anthony LaPaglia, that's what Brad looks like. So don't oh, wow. mess with him. Yeah. yeah, come on. <laughs> Hope that's a good thing. It, it is a really good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, firstly, let's ask you a bit about Australia. You, you've just been out here for a, a short time so far. Um, how have we treated you? Have we been nice? Oh, amazing. <laughs> Actually, uh, I've had such a great dry, uh, time in, uh, in Australia. I've learned really quick uh, that it's not Australia, it's Australia. There's, Australia, yeah, Australia, there's mate. No, yeah. There's no I in it. <laughs> and uh, I've had a great time. Uh, one thing I've learned is um, Australians, uh, they all uh, shorten every word. You know, you find a good word and you shorten it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like service station? Yeah, you call it a servo. Servo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that, though. I think it's yeah. so great. And can you say good day, mate? Good day, mate. Very good. That's not yeah. too bad, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to. I need to say Aussies. Yeah, I yeah. Aussie instead of Australians. I yeah. Aussies. Yeah, some Americans see. call us Aussies, but yeah. no, that's Aussies. Yeah, like mozzies. Anyway, so, mate, it's a real uh, blessing to have you on the show here today. Uh, let's find out a bit about your background. Yeah. So uh, uh, what part of the States did you grow up in, and what, what was your upbringing like? Well, I actually grew up in Alabama, and I grew up in a very Pentecostal church. It was actually, I don't, I don't know if you remember, it's a Church of God uh, denomination, and uh, mm-hmm. it's really uh, – um, it's a, it's an ama- I had an amazing church background, and mm-hmm. so I grew up every day. Uh, pretty much, my parents. So you you name it. You know, you had the children's church and the choir practice and the Sunday morning service, the Sunday night service, the Wednesday night. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, youth uh, get-togethers, and so we, I pretty much grew up my whole entire life. You know, anytime the door of the church was open, we would be there. So it was uh, really exciting. I followed God uh, pretty passionately up to about the time. I was around 16, 17 years old, and then it became, I think it's like a lot of young people, you get to that crossroads moment where your religion becomes, you know, is this what something my parents do, or is this something that I've adopted? Mm. You know, and so even though I had a passionate relationship with God, I went on, you know, mission trips, you know, you know, was actively involved in the youth group. I got to a place where I really, you know, started, I had evaluating, like, why do I believe what I believe? You know, which I think is an important part mm-hmm. of, of a young person's walk. But I think for me, because of some of the things that I've, I've seen, you know, and different things in the church, I, I think I've... I, there were some conflicts between what I was reading in the Word and what I was seeing in church. And I think if I had uh, mentors in my life that could have shown me different things, I think that I wouldn't have kind of went down the road that I went down. But I think because some things didn't match up, because we're all human. You know, there's there's times that all of us, you know, if I have anal- if I would have analyzed my own life, I would have saw some discrepancies between what God says and what and the way I was living. And I think because of those things, it caused me to to uh, 
to allow the enemy. You know, the, you know. I always say uh, Proverbs eighteen one says, "He who isolates himself seeks his own desire, mm. and he weighs against all wise judgment." Mm. And I and I think for me, I was selfishly only mm. thinking about what I could do for me. Mm. And I think because of that. I, I isolated myself to a point where the enemy could get me sidetracked off different mm-hmm. things, and then, and then condemnation sets in. I began to, you know, because of the making mistakes, it started, you know, spiraling down to a place where I ended up finding myself in, you know, pretty uh, desperate need of Jesus's grace mm-hmm. and deliverance. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about um, your work as a youth pastor. Like some people are thinking, oh yeah, the, the Dream Center. What's that? You know, some people mightn't have heard about the amazing story. Tell us the story about how the Dream Center started and how you got to be involved. It's an actual miracle that I even got to the Dream Center. But the Dream Center started a, a f- over fifteen years ago when when Pastor Matthew Barnett was asked by his dad at twenty years of age. To, to go start a plan a church, not just take over a church, but plan a church in the in the heart of the inner city of Los Angeles. And if you, I don't know if you've ever been to Los Angeles, but there's parts of Los Angeles that aren't what you see on TV, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so Pastor B- uh, Matthew got placed in the at that time in the Rampart Division of Los Angeles, which was one of the most gang ravaged areas in that in the whole entire uh, city mm-hmm. of Los Angeles. And so he gets placed in this area of town, and he just starts going for it, you know. And and then he found out um, that. You can't build a great church without building great people. And so he really started focusing on building people. You know, and through that, God showed him, you know, a, a lot of the programs that, that, that we run now were all birthed out of that. You know, one of the major programs that we run at the, at the Dream Center was it's called the Adoptable Program. You know, he didn't have a lot of staff members or different people like that. So he literally would go door to door and he would knock on doors and just say, hey, I'm, I'm your local servant. How can I serve you today? And through those acts of kindness and acts of love, you know, it just became to snowball and build into a place where, you know, four years down the road, they saw crime drop 73% in the Rampart Division. And uh, the police actually came, showed them the documentation, you know, because Pastor didn't know. He, he wasn't charting the, you know, the, the crime rate in the area. But the Rampart Division came to him and gave uh, the Dream Center an award and said, we thank you for being here because of your influence. And what the, the, what the police officer said that was so amazing was he was saying, because uh, Pastor was saying, oh, we're just loving on people. But he said, what you have done is you've, you've made it a positive prayer pressure to do right in the neighborhood instead of doing wrong. Mm. And so in other words, because of your influence and influence of your church, picking up trash, painting out graffiti, going around, you know, making a difference in the community, you've made it actually a cool thing to do what's right versus doing yeah. what's wrong. And Just so because that. of that, you know, the neighborhood is really like they took ownership of their neighborhood and they began to, they then they started picking up trash. They started taking care of things. They started helping out, painting out things and giving out things and and it just it all just culminated to a point where man, I was in Alabama checking my email one day and in my heart I knew I was supposed to go to full-time ministry and I'm thinking about it's so funny a lot of times God speaks to me when I'm not focused on what I'm the answer I'm trying to get in other words like I'm thinking about toasters and all of a sudden he's like go to LA you know <laughs> yeah. so I'm sitting here checking my email and I'm even thinking about you know getting direction from God and all of a sudden a voice inside says go to Los Angeles and I always say it, it was the loudest voice I never heard, <laughs> you know. And so I, this inner, like it just, it just resonated to me. I, I need to go to Los Angeles. So I remember I went to Los Angeles. I, I, I took a Greyhound bus. It took me two days and nine hours across the United States just to get to LA. And I felt like every crying baby in the whole entire, you know, city, in the whole entire <laughs> nation was sitting next to me every, you know, every step of the way. 
And uh, so I remember I got to Los Angeles, and at the time, you know, at the Dream Center, we have missionary uh, opportunities for people that want to come and donate a year of their life. That maybe they want to come in and do a, that. We have short term mission groups that you know youth groups around the world will come and donate a year, uh, you know, a week or two of their time, and then they'll come back. But then we ha- actually have people that are one year volunteers that come and they donate one year of their life, dedicated to serve the inner city of Los Angeles, and um, and so. They had that program, but we also have a residential program for people coming off drugs, alcohol, maybe they're homeless, or, or maybe they've fallen on hard times and they don't know how to get out of you know they need help. And we have a, a facility that houses people there that we, ha- we can hold up to 180 men, and then we can hold up to uh, 75 women. And so um, I came into the Dream Center wanting to be a disciple, because that's what I saw on the, on, the, uh, on the website. So I come to the Dream Center thinking that I'm going to be this missionary, right? And I'm going to go out and you know, do all these things. And when I get to the campus, I say, I want to be a disciple. So they think, I mean, I want to be in discipleship. So I go over, and the next thing I know, I'm in the rehab program. Wow. I, get, yeah, I get in the rehab program, and then I, before I really figured out what was going on, I was already in the program. And you couldn't just switch programs because everybody that comes into the rehab program, they all say, well, I don't have any problems. I, I need to go to the missionary side, you know. So everybody, you know, because, you know, the, the program's structured in such a way to help people get off. You know, you, you work uh, so many hours a day. You're in your, your New Testament survey. You're learning scripture. You're learning how to get your life back on track. And, and we, we put structure on people, you know, to keep them from, you know, whether they had drug problems or whatever their issues were to keep them, you know, on track for God. And so I remember, though, I remember hearing from God, like, you, you didn't make a mistake. This is where you need to be. And so I spent a year in the program. After that year, you know, our leadership would always say, well, before you do something else, pray about your next decision. When you finish one commitment, you need to pray about the next. So I was like, well, that makes sense. So I got on my knees and started praying about what God wanted me to do. And after a year, and he said, I want you to stay another year. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. I'll, I'll stay another year at the Dream Center. And it was, no, in discipleship. And so I stayed a second year, and I did leadership and discipleship, and I helped run the discipleship home. And uh, man, I I have, you know, I've thanked God more times than I can count about how amazing it was to be able to go through a program like that. To be able to, you know, for me being in Alabama, I didn't know what it was like for, to see someone who had a twenty-five uh, year heroin addiction. You know, I didn't know what it was like to see a man on his third day kicking drugs, you know, and his whole body's screaming for, you know, a fix. And you're trying to persuade him, you know, under the inspiration of God to keep to stay put, stay the course, because, you know, a couple of days you're going to be OK. You know, and these things, I, you know, I, I mean, I remember, you know, quite a few times I was in, you know, people had been in prison, you know, 10, 15 years and they were my roommates. You know, and through these things, it was really, I really believe God taught me a lot about who He wanted me to become. And He, he was teaching me a lot about how, you know, to hear the cry of the oppressed, to hear the people that, that a lot of times are forgotten, you know. And I think God was shaping, you know, oh, I know God was shaping something inside of my life there. And so I remember I stayed the second year. And then uh, after that, I, you know, went to the church and said, hey, they asked me what, what, what would I like to do from this point? And I said, you know, whatever you guys want me to do. And I began to start working in, uh, in, the, teen, in the teens. And uh, we have group homes. Uh, in in Los Angeles to take in minors 12 to 17. And uh, these kids are, a lot of times they come from juvenile hall and the judge is, you know, uh, sentencing kids, giving them options of where you can go to, you know, you can go to youth authority, you know, which is a, you know, a a correctional facility, or you can go to the Dream Center. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about the the youth authority, that's a no brainer. Mm. You know, I want to go to the church, you Mm. know, I'd rather go to the church than I would go to jail. Mm. And so judges are actually sentencing kids to the Dream Center. Wow. And they come to the group home. We we have two state licensed California group homes that are recognized by the state, um, which is kind of a it's it's kind of a hard dynamic because 
well, we would run, we would be the group home, and we would have all the state's accountability without any of the funding. And so because we have a spiritual component, because we, we weren't willing to sacrifice that spiritual component, you know, we had, you know, they've said, well, if you'll not talk about Jesus, then we'll give you money per child. And we said, we can't do that. That's the whole reason we're doing these homes is to ultimately, you know, meet the physical needs so that we can meet their inner spiritual need. Mm. And so we were like, we can't do that. So, but we did get the accountability of the state. So they come regularly, check our homes. They check the way we do things. Everything has to be above board. So we have to, we have to, in LA, have to live up to uh, the standard of every other group home in the entire country. But yet we don't get any of the funding for it. Mm. And so I became, mm. I became the house parent there and I began to work with kids and, uh, that was that was one of the greatest things in my life, and then to uh, it was at that point that I really grabbed a hold of um, the fatherless generation, mm, mm. and the fact that we're living we're living in a new world where kids are coming from fractured homes, broken homes, and sometimes not homes at all, mm. and they're just trying to find their way. And the reason why you know I've, I've, I'm learning more and more that every kid is the way they are most of the time because of a history loss. Mm. You know, there's something in their history that, that's not right. They, whether it's a lack of a dad or a mother or or abuse or sexual abuse or mm. verbal abuse, there's always some story. Mm. In every in every young person's life, and so mm. it was at that time where I really think God just gave me uh, a passion like I never had before mm. for young people, and He began to show me to see things differently. You know, because before that I had a, I had a very judgmental, very um, very hard view on things, and I think God used that to help me see things a little differently the way He sees things. Mm. You know, because God, you know, thank God, God doesn't see our, you know, see us the way we are. He sees us for for our potential. Mm. You know, and we have a saying in the Dream Center like we need to. We need to believe in, in not just in where people are, but we need to, you know, we don't need to speak to, to just to people where they're at. We need to speak to their potential. Yeah, that's You good. know, and just bring mm. that potential out. And just and so I started working in the group homes, and I, and I worked there for, for two years. And then uh, that's where I met my wife. And my wife mm. was actually the youth pastor. Mm. She, her name's Stella, and she, she came to the Dream Center when she was 18 years old mm-hmm. and started working in the short-term mission department. And uh, when, when the groups would come in, she would wash the sheets and take care of the towels and all the, for the youth groups. And... And one day, Pastor Tommy and Pastor Matthew saw how the teenagers gravitated to her, and they said, "You know what? You're you're the, you're you're the new youth pastor." And so there she was, you know, 20 years of age, didn't yeah. know what she was doing, you know, <laughs> and she became the new youth pastor. And wow. then she was actually my boss. My wife mm-hmm. was my boss, and it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, she still is, though, even yeah. though if anybody's married, they know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes in, and uh, I start working for her, mm. and. Um, it was. It's just been an awesome ride. You know, we 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 got married, and then Pastor Matthew met with us, and was like, "Hey, I want you guys to run this thing together." Mm. And we started running it together. And then, you know, after I've been there eight and a half years, and wow. four months ago, Pastor Matthew was like, "You know, I've been praying about it, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that you you're the you guys are the couple to go out and just dominate New York for Jesus." Mm. And uh, and I tell you, you know, Matt, it's been a uh, it's been an amazing four months. Mm. Mm. And it's been a challenging four months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know the transition from youth pastor to senior pastor. I can relate to you. But uh, it's it's a step of faith, you know. You've got to step out and, and you'll make yeah. history as, as you step out, you know. That scripture in Joshua, wherever you place your foot, you'll have victory, you know. And 
problem is That's a lot good. of Christians don't even place their foot. They just sit there. <laughs> You're not going to get any victory if you just sit there, are you? you That's know? a good point. You've got to yeah. step out. So I encourage you uh, in, in how you've stepped out. And the good thing is you've got a great parent church. So let, let's talk a bit about Dream Center. Yes, sir. What's the weekly attendance? Is it, is it like a mega church? You know, how many yeah. people? Well, the, 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 uh, they're actually launching another service. And right now between all the services, because we actually have um, two Hispanic churches, a mm-hmm. Filipino church, a Japanese church, a Romanian church, and uh, uh, excuse me, Armenian, and uh, and we have uh, our English services. Mm-hmm. And so between all the services, there's about six thousand people that attend the church wow. every week. Mm. And uh, but it but it wasn't always like yeah, that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think the ironic thing was is the the paradigm of what it, of what of the way it started. You know, being in the youth ministry, we had a we had an opposite paradigm. Than most churches do. A lot of churches, you know, they they get together and they have they they have a community of believers, and they and then at one point they say, you know what, we need to reach out, and they begin to start reaching out, and mm-hmm. you know, those families reach out and they and they love mm-hmm. on people in their community and bring them in and show them the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. But Pastor Matthew started the inversely. You know, yeah. they, he started with the outreach, and because he didn't have any families going to his church, he didn't have families, so he literally had to just bring people off the street and mm. disciple them, show them the way, and then then as it began to grow, mm. see as the church began to grow, people started fall in love with the with the mission mm. of the church, and then as it began to build, see now it's kind of snowballed to the fact where other you know people from around the the LA area are excited about the vision, the you mm. know young couples and and married couples and families now are coming to the church, and so for a youth pastor, you know a lot of a lot of times the, the I hear this a lot. A lot of times, the youth pastor has a problem because they they start reaching out and doing bus routes, and then you know some of the parents it's it's there's a, there's a paradigm because you got kids coming in that maybe have foul mouths, so they have bad problems and they're intermingling with other kids and they're afraid that they're gonna there's gonna yeah. be some kind of you know some kind of lapse there. Mm. Well, we had the other dynamic where you know my in 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 our youth group we I would say ninety five percent of the kids that that were part of the youth ministry didn't didn't have parents to go to church. And so it's a total shift for us. And so then all of a sudden now parents are coming and their kids are coming. And so mm-hmm. I had I had to go the opposite way. So we had to go from like, so, okay, how are we going to integrate people from that have solid families mm. into kids that don't have solid families? Yeah, wow. Now, you, you talked before about, like, I love at how your church meets the physical need and the spiritual need. You know, you're very big on both, which is wonderful. Uh, let's talk now to those listeners or those that are watching this on YouTube uh, that have that spiritual need. There might be people uh, listening that have never given their life to God and don't know what to do. Speak to those that are listening now and coach them through how to do that. Well, I think the, I think the key is is um, the recognition that you can't do it on your own. Mm. And that's the one of the things that we really focus on within not just in our not just in a, a recovery home, but everything every aspect of what we do mm. is that it, it is God mm. to do you know because I mean the, the very essence of salvation is is that you come to the realization that you need a savior. Mm. And that's what we instill in, in everyone that works here. You know, no matter where you are, where you find yourself. In New York, we go to the Port Authority, and people are homeless and they have nothing. And then I'm meeting with people at Wall Street that have have a lot. Mm. You know, but and through all those, they still have that need. They have a need for Jesus Christ. Mm. That is the recognition of coming to the fact that hey, I need a Savior. Mm. I can't do this on my own. And uh, and so we we really try to focus on the fact that it's not about what you used to be. Mm. It's about what he's called you to be. Yeah, yeah. And God's called us all out of different situations. Mm. No matter where you find yourself, God will call you out of your situation and into a new future. Mm. And that's what we want to focus on is, is people grabbing a hold of the mm. destiny that God has for their life. Mm. And, you know, just their purpose and their plan and walking it out. And, you know, every single day, you know, we, we one of our scriptures we had memorized was John eight thirty one thirty two. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, 
you're my disciples indeed. Mm. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Mm. And I just believe that with all my heart, that if you, if you focus on loving people, loving God, and abiding in his word, then you truly will be set free from anything that's holding you back. Mm. Well, Brad, I reckon your history maker, mate. It's been such a uh, privilege to get to know you and uh, hear about your ministry. If people want to find out more, what's the best website for them to go to? Oh, man, thank you so much. Yeah, if, if uh, anybody uh, wants to learn more about the Dream Center, they can simply just go to www.dreamcenter.org, O-R-G. And that's Dream Center spelt American. Yep, yes. C-E-N-T-E-R. That's right. <laughs> you guys R-E. spell it wrong. Or do we spell it wrong? I don't we, know. We probably spell it wrong, but it's, it's C-E-N-T-E-R. So. Okay, and they can have a look there at the LA or the New York Dream Center, find out more about what you do. And, mate, I really have been blessed to get to know you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this week's show. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.